Gamers Podcast. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, my dear brothers, sisters, friends, and the foes out there, and welcome to another episode of the Blood Brothers Podcast with your host, Dili Hussein. I hope you've all had a wonderful Eid, given the very unique and strange circumstances that we have found ourselves in as mankind for the last two to three months. Today's episode is a very special one, like all the other episodes have been. Uh, but today's guest is someone who's very dear to me, uh, someone who I see as not just a, a friend and a brother, but also an ally in the work uh, that we do, and that is online Muslim media. And that is Zaid Akhtar from Documenting Oppression Against Muslims, or better known as the acronym DOAM. Assalamu alaikum, Zaid. How are you doing, my brother? Alhamdulillah, fine. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. Jazakumullah khair for uh, agreeing to do the podcast. You say it any time, but you're someone who's actually, very I regard it, very hard to get, very camera shy, mashallah, so we're very honoured to have you on bro. So before uh, we kick off the crux of the podcast, I want to ask you some questions, right? They're quick fire questions. Um, so I'm going to mention to you some media outlets, yeah? Some media outlets that are very popular uh, amongst Muslim communities. And I want you to tell me, honestly, the first thought that comes into your mind when you think of the following media outlets, okay? Yeah. Is that a yes, yeah? Yes, that's fine. Bismillah. Okay. Ilmfeed. All about the good stuff. Islam 21C. Um, Salafi orientated. The Muslim vibe. Speak your mind. Front for Shia. Okay. The Muslim Muslim matters. Muslim matters. American Islam. One Path Network. Our brothers from down under. <laughs> uh, inspirational. Okay. Um, OGN News. Uh, unique. Middle East Eye. Don't know much about them, to be honest. AJ Plus. Middle East Monitor or Memo? Same with the Middle East, I don't know much about them. And last but not least, Five Pillars. Uh, Islamist. No, that was the truth. I see Five Pillars in between ourselves and Infield. Mashallah, mashallah, mashallah. The exact same analysis that I have of ourselves, mashallah. Jazakumullah khair, bro. And maybe we can touch upon some of those uh, initial thoughts you had about the aforementioned outlets. Um, look, bro, let's, let's first start by talking a bit about Doam's work, yeah? And the fact that you have specifically named your outlet documenting oppression against Muslims. Now, each media outlet irrespective of what they truly represent, they've been accused of many things. Like, in the first year of Five Pillars, we were accused of being a front for HT, we were being uh, accused of being a front for Iran, we were being accused of being 
a front for Salafis. That happened for about six to eight months until people realized, okay, these guys don't really have a partisan allegiance. Mm. They just cover and give platform to mainstream people from these different groups. Yeah, Doam, on the other hand, I've noticed over the years, and especially in the beginning, received accusations of being Khariji or being sympathetic to Khariji groups, always calling for rebellion and removal of rulers. And we know that that complaint has usually come from one kind of group. Mm, yes. And I've seen you engage with people who have accused this. Um, why do you think they accuse you of this? Because they cannot handle that their government or people who they claim to follow have been exposed, shall we say, mm. or anything that brings a negative, uh, you know, a negative or criticism against uh, who they follow blindly, basically. Mm. Um, it's not you. Uh, yes, we still get this today. Uh, okay. Unfortunately, uh, but uh, but it's not just. I think there are a number of groups as well. Uh, even mm. nationalists as well use that term against us. Um, mm. But it's a it's a term that's uh, is is almost become as a swear word in a way. Uh, yeah. As an insult. Uh, just to cast doubt on people and the work that they do and bring their work into disrepute so mm. so the people uh, move away from them. Uh, initially, like you said, uh, we had a lot of attacks like that. Uh, um, I, I don't know why, to be honest with you. Uh, it's just all, we do, all we're doing is documenting, for example, let's just say in Saudi Arabia, mm. a, a certain sheikh has been imprisoned we highlight it, you get straight away, we get called you takfiri, you khariji, oh, you yeah. ikhwani uh, even and yeah. all, all these words just to, and all that is is we're just reporting what's, what, what has just happened mm. So, you know when it comes to documenting oppression against Muslims do you differentiate proportionately or is there a case of consistency when oppression is happening against Muslims by Muslim governments and regimes as well as non-Muslims Do you make a differentiation or do you see it as It's oppression and it needs to be reported Or do you see, we, okay we, we see it as oppression and it needs to be reported um, Especially more towards the East I say Because there's no accountability There's mm. no uh, They don't have a voice at all whatsoever And mm. they go, for example If someone's been in prison the, the family linger around for that For decades even and, Absolutely And, and uh, we see it as both the same whether it's east or the west. Mm. So let me, let me ask you this then, yeah? When you get accusations of being called Khariji, sympathizers of uh, people who want to remove governments and regimes, Ikhwani, these kind of terms are generally associated to a strand of Salafis, which is widely known as the Madakhila, yeah? Yes, yeah. But it's not necessarily restricted to them. Yeah. In fact, there's a brother that we both know called Bassam Zawadi. Who says that the, the, the ideology of the Madakhila is not actually restricted to just Salafis You can get Madkhali Sufis yeah? Yeah, yeah. And really that essentially means that someone who's blindly, allegiant, uh, blindly allied to oppressive regimes yeah? um, So in that case, do you ever wonder to yourself how your content could be interpreted as anti-regime And perhaps instigating oh, we, calls? Uh, absolutely, we get the, all the time If we mention for example a Syrian child has been uh, shot dead at the Turkish border mm. and when we highlight it we get the nationalists coming in start accusing you uh, 
you know, the usual rant about, you know, how Turkey has saved so many refugees, etc., etc., and mm. you know, they can't do anything wrong, and then they start going off calling you Khariji, you know, you're, mm. free, you're, you're extremist, uh, mm. uh, and so forth. But because I'm in the West, Alhamdulillah, you know, we're, we're more or less free here. Mm. If I was in the East, I would have been disappeared a long time ago. Oh, of course, we know this. We know that what the work that we both do. Uh, I mean, even, to be honest with you, uh, especially on Twitter, we get even Muslim governments ask Twitter to remove our tweets down, especially yeah. Pakistan. Uh, we had that in India. We, we had that with India yeah, recently. And India as well, yeah. And yeah. There's another country, I think it was... Uh, China? China, yes. Morocco as well. I don't know okay. why Morocco, but... Uh, because uh, to, out of the social media, Twitter is obviously the better one compared mm. to the rest of them. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's the usual, we get it in, we get it day in, day out throughout our work. And to be honest, we're so used to it that at, at the beginning, I used to converse with them a lot more or mm. react to them a lot more. Now I just tend to ignore them. Okay. Um, obviously, when I started the podcast, I asked you to describe... Or the first thought that came into your mind and you, when, you, when I said Ilmfid and you said uh, positive good news yeah. And then when I asked you to describe five pillars you said somewhere in the middle between Ilmfid and Dawam yeah? Yeah. Now obviously you're, you're continuously on a daily basis dealing with oppression against Muslims And that's everything ranging from Islamophobic attacks in the West To literally Muslims of Philistine and Syria and Kashmir and elsewhere getting killed and maimed and slaughtered yeah how does that affect your mind? Does it not depress you out that sometimes you may want to... I mean, just out of curiosity, because some people it wonder does. this. It does. Yeah. It, it does. I mean, you go through moments, especially, um, you know, the chemical attacks were happening yeah. uh, by the Assad regime in Idlib. Mm. Uh, in Khan Sheikhoun, uh, mm. that was a tough one. I mean, mm. um, uh, yes, you go through moments where you feel a bit low, a bit down, but... And then I, you know, I come back to it and then think, you know, because I believe this work is needed because it's not, we don't post everything and everything. I mean, we do positive, positive news as well, coming out from these areas, uh, out of oppression, you know, t to show that, you know, something good can, can happen out mm. of these, you know. But our, our project is mainly targeting just on this aspect and nothing else. I mean, we do get the comments like, what are you highlight? You know, non you know, oppression against non non Muslims. I mean, I mean, by ahead, go ahead and do by all means do that. I really support you in that. But uh, this project is just specifically and this alone. And I think, uh, you know, like five pillars, like yourselves, mm -hmm. uh, we Muslims need to control the narrative. And unfortunately, uh, many of us look at us and say, you know, or. You know, you Muslims, you cannot be trusted. Uh, mm. You know, uh, and they always have this negative image yeah. or perception that we some sort of conspiracy, mm. uh, and we, we get that a lot. But um, it's one of those areas where I believe that I still we still need to, and I don't think oppression is going to disappear. It's always going to continue. The Absolutely. So, and, and I think someone out there, you know, even after I pass away. That you mm. know, hope, inshallah, this work will continue and grow.
Inshallah. Yeah, I think you make a valid point. I think one of the discomforts that our own community, especially in the West, faces is that when they're continuously reminded about the state of the Ummah, right? And the reason why I think it's important, it's not that we get a kick out of showing this footage mm. or letting them know, but it's a reminder that you are part of a global Ummah. And, and the state of the Ummah is not good, yeah? And by all means, take your positive stories, and there are positive stories, and Absolutely. positive stories are supposed to be reported. Yeah. But if you were to scale it up proportionately, it is a fact of a matter that Muslims around the world are the most oppressed group. Our lands are occupied, people are living in adverse poverty, majority of these countries are under brutal despotic regimes, and therefore, depending on what kind of Muslim you are as well and how you see your priorities, if that's what you see as a priority, that's naturally what you're going to project to the Ummah. Would you agree? I agree with you 100%. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, look, I, I mean, I, I said this on the podcast with that we did last Gregorian New Year with Salman and uh, Saeed from Ilfian. And I said, look, brothers, it's not a case that Five Pillars doesn't report positive news. It's a case that we proportionately do it. Because yes, there's good, but there's a lot of bad, so we need to report proportionately. Do you understand? Absolutely. On the issue of bringing these stories, bringing this raw footage uh, to uh, the Muslim audiences, Doam's audiences, right? How has Facebook's, specifically Facebook, but also YouTube, I guess, because you used to have a YouTube channel, you no longer have yeah, one, do you? Yes. They shut you down, uh, shut us down twice. Uh, what, and is there a reason why you've not? Uh, Tried your chances again? No, no. There's no, re <laughs> there's no reasons given. Um, mm. There's even when you appeal, uh, mm. it's just straight blanket cut off, just like that. Oh. Uh, I've, and, we, and would you ever consider reopening one again? YouTube? I would do, but I think um, uh, it's a strange one because, um, for example, if you post a normal Islamophobic hate crime, that for example a sister's being attacked, for example, verbally. Yeah. Even that alone, for some reason, gets taken down by YouTube, even though that's reported by mainstream media. So mm. you could see like AJ Plus or BBC or Sky News, whatever, they post the exact same material as we do, but mm. for some reason, as gets taken down, and they just did up. And I, yes. think, and I think that's deliberate because uh, we, we're not controlled by anyone. And mm. we, you know, we run our own projects and uh, and I think that hits a nerve with some people, mm. or especially so, those who work in in those platforms. So, given that we've had Facebook pages, I mean, we've five pages have not had any pages shadow, but we have been shadow banned. Yeah. And you are the first person I always come to when we experience this stuff. And I remember last September when we experienced our first shadow ban. Do you remember that conversation we had? I was, I was quite upset. Do you remember? Yeah. I, I, and we were distraught because I was like, Subhanallah, we rebranded. Our traction was getting really big of the last extra and then bang, they hit you with a shadow ban. And it was to do with, we merely quoted a statement from Khadim Rizvi, a scholar from Pakistan, who basically said that there are Muslim men in Pakistan that are ready to march into India to liberate Kashmir. We quoted him. Yes. And, Kash and the issue of Kashmir in Article 35 and 30 370 was something that was being widely reported. And we got shadow banned for an entire month. Yeah. And you said to me, I remember, you said, Diddy, look, head up, chin up, we're going to face this, it's normal, we just need to crack on, yeah? 
And and you're absolutely right. It's one of the best advices I ever received. May Allah bless you. I mean, but given that we're facing these issues on Facebook, on YouTube, on these social media platforms, do you think there will ever come a time where we seriously have to think about an alternative platform which isn't controlled and regulated by those who are sympathetic to Israel, those who are sympathetic uh, towards India and China? Uh, I think eventually, yes. Um, at the moment, I think. Uh, they are like um, quite high profile people are looking into that uh, um, but I think the culture needs to change and until you get people off these platforms I don't think people are going to go to a Muslim one or an mm. Islamic one mm. um, uh, to their platform but I think that um, Facebook is notorious for this, and and I know they ha they even have this problem with Christian uh, uh, groups in America. You know the hardcore Christian groups. Yes, uh, yes, they yeah. They get shadow banned a lot, and mm. uh, their content gets taken down as well, mm. very frequently. And um, and I think one of them is taking Facebook to court, um, but but you know we don't have that kind of money, you know, mm. uh, you know behind us. But I think that uh, you know when we got. When we got, uh, when they took our page down first time around, we had over four hundred thousand followers. Yes, I remember clearly. And uh, and then two days later, when we hit that reach, two days later, we just went completely gone. Uh, tried to appeal it, um, nothing. Uh, they would have respond. Tried to contact them on Twitter. The you know the directors or the CEO. Yeah. Nothing. No response whatsoever. Obviously. You know, as humans, we get disheartened and we get upset. But alhamdulillah, uh, it's something that is what my wife told me as well. She plays a big role in, in Dawn as well. Mashallah. Uh, and um, she told me that look, here, yeah, you could start again. It's okay. We start again, refresh, come up with new ideas, new thoughts, new concepts, and alhamdulillah, that's what we kept on doing and. Alhamdulillah, it's, it's still getting up there uh, and uh, whether it's Instagram or even Twitter, it's the same thing. When we get banned or shadow banned, it's time to reflect, time to think about new ideas, what can we do mm. to, you know, to avoid that, etc. But yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things where unfortunately in our work, in, in any Dawah work, I, you know, you will get these obstacles in the way and it's, mm. a, test, and it's a test for us. No, so you know currently there's there's quite a few Dawan pages. You have one in Bengali. Bengali. You have one in what languages do you have? You have uh, Bengali, Arabic. Arabic, Urdu. Yep. Uh, French. Yep. Uh, Kurdish. Yep. Um, and but, we're looking to do one in Turkish. Okay. So you've got these five langu language uh, offshoot pages, right? Yes. But then there's two main pages. There's one that's got 187,000, and there's a really active one which is around 40,000. Yes. The, the reason why, because we created that backup page, is because yeah. we started getting shadow banned. Yeah. Uh, and what they did was, and I think is the footage regarding to the anti Muslim crimes in India. Yeah. Uh, and. They just shadow ban you without any reason. And for those who don't know what shadow ban is, shadow ban basically it puts you away off the news feeds. Your content is not viewable on the news feed. You can't 
you know, the only way someone can see your work is by going directly to your page. Yeah, yeah. And and basically, every single person who would normally see a Doam or a Five Pillars notification, it no longer exists. No, you have to manually go search it. And there's even this weird sign, this, 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 do you remember? They give you this sign saying, you have been shadow banned. It will not reach people's notification. And I think the first time we experienced that, as I already mentioned earlier, I was so disheartened, bro. I was so disheartened. And, and I was like, I can't believe to just click of a finger, just like this. But then I realized this is the reality of our work. And I needed, and I needed to speak to you to understand that, you know what? Perhaps this may even be a sign that inshallah our work is accepted. Who knows? Inshallah. Yeah. And then whenever these kind of stumbling blocks happen, it reminds me of the challenges of Nuh alayhi salam, right? A beloved prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who gave da'a for 900 years. And then how many of his people joined him in that ship? A handful. Yeah. At best. And he gave da'a for 900 years. And I guess I would even go as far as to say. That if your work isn't being highlighted by the enemies of Islam And you're not facing these stumbling blocks and obstacles Maybe mm. even reflect upon what you're actually pushing out Right? Because if you've got an easy ride I mean Alhamdulillah If you've got an easy ride, you've got an easy ride But at the same time, you need to ask yourself that If you're not being pursued You're not being hunted down You're not being looked to be censored Then, you know, there may be something which you perhaps need to consider in terms of priorities Anyway what advice would you then give to up and coming pages that want to share content like Doam, raw footage of attacks, raw footage of anti-Muslim attacks, um, scenes from uh, war-torn areas? What things can you advise to avoid getting their pages shut? Because we also know that Whilst there is a sinister ideological agenda of Facebook and Zuckerberg and these guys, yes. there's also an algorithm which you can't you can't help yes. control, yeah. And it's a CPU-based algorithm, so they'll identify certain words, they'll identify certain things, and then bang straight away, you, you, that post can get taken down or you can get shadow banned. What advice would you give to those who want to upload this kind of content? Uh, first things first, never post graphic. Uh, like you, what I mean by graphic is bodies being torn or you know like blood everywhere etc those kind of content and I'm, I'm pretty sure you've seen you know some videos where facebook allows to keep them on but they have that overlay yep which says this contains graphic photo or graphic the, the, the cover yeah the cover so mm. they they do that sometimes uh, where they won't delete it but they just put that cover on um yeah so no graphic footage of any sort of anybody being maimed or anything like that uh, even in regards to fighting now, you know, mm. like, just say an Islamic, uh, Islamophobic attack where you're being, especially if it's a minor, avoid those kind of videos or the best thing to do is to blur them out. Uh, okay. Uh, or, uh, yes, definitely you have to blur these things out. Uh, even with the graphic one, if you can manage to blur them out and it's okay, presentable and not showing any graphic at all and it's blurred out, then that's fine as well. And number three is your text, your your the words that you use. I mean, I've seen some, you know, on other pages where, and, and they've asked me as well. And another brother asked me once where uh, he posted, and uh, like a graphic, not too much graphic, but it was okay uh, footage on Facebook, and the words he was using like, 
well, it was like horrendous like um give us an example uh, like, uh, you know go and attack them and oh yeah god lord etc those yeah. kind of things those kind of things especially with the, you know the algorithm that will be taken down mm. i mean good. they will take even if you post tommy robertson's video yeah generally they'll take they'll take it down straight away because an yeah, because an algorithm setting has been placed now for yeah. Tommy Robinson and the EDL. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And also, and the fourth thing is always back up your work. You have to back up your work because obviously, if you if you have other platforms like you on Telegram or Instagram or Reddit or you know Instagram and all these other platforms, it's good to have a backup as well, so you never lose that you know footage or content, mm. etc. That's a lot of work, Zaid, man. <laughs> Masha'Allah, tabarakallah. That's, that's a lot of work. So who's behind Doab? You? Uh, myself, my wife. Uh, she plays a big role behind the scenes. Uh, Masha'Allah. She's very supportive. And to be honest, without uh, you know, counsel and advice, uh, I would not, not be anywhere. Uh, uh, you know, to make sure everything is okay and everything and double check everything. Alhamdulillah. Uh, then we have other few brothers uh, They don't want to be mentioned uh, Take that's fine But, but, uh, but, but would, you, would, you, would you say the bulk of the work The bulk yes. of the work You and your wife It's my, me and my wife yeah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept I'm it from above I mean. step back a bit Which I'm what? trying to Why? Do Why? Uh, because I want to do other things uh, And pursue other things But to keep on doing this But I want to pursue other things as well Like? Uh, tell us uh, like furthering my Arabic, uh, okay. uh, focusing on the Arabic side of Doha, for example, yeah, yeah, uh, etc. Um, but yeah, but it's it's all volunteer based. Uh, we don't get paid whatsoever. Uh, mm. All fees are you know. mm. We don't ask for donations because we, we because we just we're not the type of organization that needs funding because all mm. can be done, alhamdulillah. Okay, so so that so actually brings me to uh, my, my next area of discussion: funding and volunteer work. Yeah, now I know that you've had a long track record of refusing donations, uh, and brothers who have, brothers and sisters who've wanted to support your work, you've redirected them to organisations which you feel uh, are worthy of supporting. Right now. Is it a case that you're always going to maintain that position? Or is it that you genuinely feel that the work you guys are doing can be done on a volunteer basis? Uh, it will continue like this. Um, I believe the funds can be used elsewhere. Fundamentally, I believe that it can be used elsewhere that, for example, like Cage or Hugs uh, or yourself, where you have a much more, like a wider audience and you cover a lot more things. Like, especially with Cage and Hugs, it's much more practical. And supporting those organizations will, and donating towards them will help us in the future because it, obviously if something happens to us or we're being censored and we need to take action, obviously we're going to refer to Cage, etc. Mm. for advice and or even legal advice, etc. And so supporting them would be a lot better than donating towards us because we're just doing, it's all... It's all internet based. There's nothing. But it has human hours, though, side. Say it again, sorry. It has human hours, surely. Okay, put. Let's, let's put. Let's put. Human hours, it does. But uh, like now, uh, most like most of our like posters and like uh, the footage, we've already created templates for them. 
and all that needs to be done is replace the text, replace mm. the footage or the image, and Bismillah, export and off you go. Mm. Uh, there's not a not a problem. Uh, so, so would you say at that? At the beginning, yes. Yeah. Obviously, at the beginning, there was a lot of work, uh, mm. a lot, a lot of work, uh, because obviously, doing this work, you have to research, read, and everything, mm. etc. Absolutely. And and then uh, it becomes second nature, bro. Okay, so okay, so so let me ask you a question. Right now, we're doing a podcast, right? Yeah. And we have our beautiful brother Mosin, uh, aka Dawood Digital, who's filming this podcast, right? Now, it would be wonderful if he did every single one of these for free. It really would. But the point of the matter is that certain services <laughs> require absolutely to, to be paid, right? I, of, of course. Yeah, and 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 I absolutely agree with you. When it comes to video footage, video footage takes five minutes. Especially if I'm pinching it from Dawam, it takes two minutes, yeah? Yes, yes. But articles take time, reviews take time, podcasts take time, investigating stories takes time, to send a reporter to cover Shukri Abdi's case up north takes time, to provide back-to-back -back media support for the parents protesting in Birmingham over LGBT issues takes time. So what I'm trying I, I to... I like how you covered you know, the Christchurch massacre. Yeah. Yeah, you said, yeah, of course, I, I understand that And so, organisations like yourself need that support need that But what I'm saying that as, but as DOM expands As DOM expands uh, um, Yes uh, Excuse me That's fine Can you go back upstairs please? This is wicked. I love, I, I love, I love, I love <laughs> the I'm I love having that BBC moment <laughs> No, that's fine Asalaamu <laughs> Alaikum <laughs> I, lo I love it. I love it. I love these moments. Good boys. Okay. Uh, so as 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 Dawam expands, because I've noticed that it is predominantly video and image based, video and infographic. Which you're absolutely right, bro. If you if you've got a template, a video or an image with text takes five ten minutes max. Yeah. yeah? But other stuff requires actual human hours, yeah? So I'm saying that, is, if in that case, are you saying that you're going to specifically stick to those two types of content as your predominant type of content? At, at the moment, those that, that will continue. But we've also, we've also planned to do uh, like live videos on Instagram or Facebook and mm. YouTube. Uh, then we're hoping to uh, look into other things where we actually go out and interview people. But yeah, it, 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 I'm, I'm assuming that a time will come where obviously we will need funding Inshallah. for certain services like yourself. Then mm. until then, now, alhamdulillah, we're okay at the moment. Alhamdulillah, bro. Can I just say, uh, and I've, I, I don't want to throw dirt in your face, and I've said it on previous podcasts, but I just want to say that I'm a super personal fan of Dawam. I just wanted to say, I just wanted to say it on camera, and I've said it previously. Um, that a significant amount of the raw footage content that we share is from Dawam. And in fact, when it comes to documenting oppression, especially in the Muslim majority world, Wallahi, I see you guys as leaders in this field. And for those of you, our listeners and our viewers who are watching this, please go over to Dawam, subscribe to their channels, Instagram, Twitter, like all their pages on Facebook. And uh, support their work in any capacity that you can So, moving on from that, right? Moving on from that There's another interesting topic that I want to talk about And 
for those of you who don't know, me and Zaid, we have a very brotherly relationship and we have lots of WhatsApp conversations and sometimes I would say we even vent at each other. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. With, that, with our frustrations about things that we're seeing about the Muslim world and stuff like this. One of the things that I want to talk to you about is the current situation of our Uyghur brothers and sisters and our, and our Turkic brothers and sisters in occupied East Turkestan, right? Whereby a recent law has passed through the US government uh, where they're going to basically punish and penalize Chinese officials who are responsible for oppressing and putting Uyghur Muslims uh, into internment concentration camps. Yeah? yeah. The question I want to ask you is this. Predominantly, the, the most prominent Uyghur human rights groups and campaigning groups are currently in the US or in Canada. And they are heavily predominantly lobbying the US government. And essentially, in many, in many ways, they're championing the US government as one of their main strategic allies uh, in, in this battle against the Chinese regime. Now, we've seen this before. We've seen this with the Kurds. We've seen this with the Shia of Iraq. We've seen this with, the, with, with a number of Syrian groups. We've seen this many times where... Genuine oppressed Muslims, even the Palestinians, even the Palestinians who some groups and leaders from amongst them still go to the UN to get some kind of resolution, to get some kind of peace agreement, etc. And we've seen this continuously where genuine oppressed Muslims, where you and I can never understand their oppression. Yeah, we can see it, we can, understand, we can, we can share it, but we can never feel it. We have our wives, we have our children, we have our security, we have our food, shelter, clothing intact, yeah? But they seek assistance and alliances from the likes of the US, and lest we forget who the US are. A million dead in Iraq, 100,000 dead in Afghanistan, Muslims in Somalia, Yemen, Pakistan, killed by drones, yes. yeah? What do you do in this situation, Zaid? How do we advise our brothers and sisters not just from the Uyghur community, but mainly the Uyghur community for now, but others who seek assistance and aid from those who we know are also the enemies of Islam and Muslims. Specifically to the Uyghur community, uh, to be honest with you, uh, on the outset, let oppressors attack oppressors. Mm. Uh, I mean, let them fight each other off. And that's mm. a good thing. Um, so whatever sanctions that come about against Chinese officials or their companies or... Uh, that operate in East Turkestan and you know aid in the oppression of the Uyghur community. Yes, we welcome that. Of course, we welcome any sort of action that's going to relieve some pro you know oppression. Mm. But in terms of a long-term strategy and a long-term goal, uh, the the Uyghur community need to look at their own history. To be honest with you, I mean, in the nineteen thirties and nineteen twenties, they had two. Then, they had two states. They had two states, and you had. One side, uh, uh, yet on the on the west you had the Soviet Union, on the east you have China. Both want control of the area of of the whole country because obviously it's natural resources, etc. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, so what they used to do was Soviet Union used to back the resistance movement against China. Yeah. Then China used to back the resistance movement against the Soviet Union. But in the nineteen thirties, uh, when it all came out loggerheads. Um, the Soviet Union basically backstabbed the Uyghurs they did. last minute and then basically China occupied the whole region. Yep. Uh, and that's what basically crushed 
the revolution and you've not seen any revolution of that magnitude mm. since then uh, but in the long term they need to really think that and we I mean we both know that the US and Donald Trump and Mike Pence and all these officials they're only using the Uyghur community as a leverage or a tool to further their own aims because against China against China yeah but essentially the reason why they're against China obviously you got this virus going on but before that it was the trade war yeah and you know America does not want I mean they even trying to get the UK government not to you know use the Hawaii you know the Hawaii technology yes 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 you know in the networks so therefore the Uyghur community are fortunately going to be let down big time in my view in the long term uh, it's inevitable isn't it it's inevitable it's going to happen it's happened like you said with the Kurds with the Iraqis with the Shia in the, you know in Iraq how they were used and abused and then they got attacked by them you know because what America wants at the end of the day is global domination and it's all interest yes it's all interest china yeah. wants the same thing as well right yeah i mean there's a chinese professor that said 70% of the economy uh, in east pakistan of china comes from east pakistan so you could imagine yeah why anybody wants to tap in the area you, you know it makes sense now reading history why soviet union wanted that area so badly absolutely and the british uh, so uh, my advice to them is yes we welcome you know any sort of sanctions against these officials to relieve oppression but as a long term strategy why is it that you want independent is it going to be independent you know are there going to be strings attached are you going to get us uh, oil companies to come out and extract your oil your gas and then therefore you know all the subsidies and everything go towards them and why you get pennies uh, that's one aspect of it from the economy point of view but from uh, from another point of view whether do they want a secular state absolutely democracy mm. state what kind of state do you want and i know many vegans uh, personally uh, are practicing muslims and they don't want a secular state absolutely yes i agree state. yeah and yeah many of them actually do want a muslim you know state like in the 1930s before cuz both the, both those states were islamic republics weren't they yes, they were islamic republics In and that's Sharia, that, that Sharia in the constitution Yes, absolutely And yeah. even before that, the, you know, the Ottoman Khilafah supported them Yes uh, As well Yeah uh, But this is the biggest question mark surrounding that whole area Now, I know Donald Trump released a statement this week saying that He's going to announce something big by the end of this week Regarding to the Riga, you know, the act the Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't yeah. know what that is going to be uh, But I just thought it's, it's disheartening as well at the same time because you don't want them to fall in the same traps as the rest of the whole uh, But we have seen it, haven't we? We've seen it yeah. we, we, and, and, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, bro. At the but end of the day... What, but you know what as well? Also, uh, the Muslim countries backstab them though. 100%. You know when they, last year, when the 22 Western countries signed you know, a letter condemning these concentration camps and the oppression of the Uyghur community? Yeah. As a response, China got 50 countries, majority of them Muslim countries, including Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, to Morocco. To legitimize what they're doing. It's more like to basically, and they are official signatories, by the way. Yeah, yeah, of course. Basically, and they supported the Chinese concentration camps. 
uh, what's happening to the Uyghurs, how are they destroying Islam there, the culture, the language. Just imagine that level of treachery. Yes. So, Wallahi, the, so on one hand, uh, I don't, I could see their viewpoint. Absolutely. But at the other hand, it's, are you really going to gain freedom at the end mm. of it? Mm. I mean, look, I, I, I think we're on the same page here. And if and, and those of our Uyghur brothers and sisters who are going to be watching this and listening to this podcast, we say this to you. Absolutely, when oppressors and enemies of Islam and Muslims fight one another, it's a good thing. When they're fighting each other, they're not killing Muslims. Or they're not killing Muslims to the level in which they would have been if they weren't fighting each other. Absolutely. Now, this is, this, is, this is a consistent position within our tradition, not a problem. But the Syrians have been there. The Palestinians have been there. All those seeking statehood have been there And there's a number of things you have to identify And, and really I guess our message is to those who are Islamically inclined those who, are, those who are set in their ways to want a secular liberal state Or a state which has zero to little Islam as part of its identity I guess this message will fall on deaf ears yeah? Yes, and sadly it's going to be those that are going to be the most disappointed Once America truly chooses its maslaha <laughs> And chooses to continue trade with China but what we'll say to you is this Do not be disheartened by the treachery of the Muslim rulers Because wallahi there's khayr in the ummah and, and, and just like there is khayr in the ummah over Kashmir Over Palestine Over Syria Over Somalia Over Afghanistan Never ever think to yourself that the treachery And the selling out of Muslim rulers and governments Is reflective of the ummah Yeah, yeah. Unless, you hap- unless you happen to be an ardent Pakistani or Turkish nationalist yeah. Right? Who again, very little Islam to refer to their, their worldview. There is khayr in the ummah. Right? And I will humbly say this as well that wallahi, in human history, in Islamic history, never has liberation taken place at the hands of non Muslims. Would you agree with me, Zaid? I agree with you. Never, 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 never. From the time of Medina to 1924, in that period, there has never been a case where a non Muslim entity or polity or a king or an emperor. Or a state has come and liberated Muslims and left them liberated Yeah (coughs) And never in human history Never in in the history of mankind From Adam alayhi salam to now Has an oppressor willingly woke up And given up their oppression Have they? They have either been removed by a miracle of Allah Right? Or from a punishment of Allah They have either been removed from uh, Jihad fi sabilillah one which is legitimate, which was, which was done within the frameworks of the Sharia and Islam Or external intervention That's the only three times oppression has been removed Would you agree with me Zayed? I agree with you Yeah? Either Allah has removed oppressors through miracles and punishments Either the people have fought for their independence Or an external power which tends to have an affinity Whether it's religion or race To then intervene and to help those people that's the only time, brothers and sisters, that's the only time in Islamic history and human history that that's the only time liberation has come. So whilst, fine, for strategic purposes, out of a genuine hardship that the Muslim governments have sold your cause out, like they've sold Palestine out, like they've sold so many causes out. Yeah, sold Kashmir. Yeah, yeah. Look, the Arab League expelled Bashar. Yeah. In 2013-14 Now they're talking about bringing him back in Yeah, yeah. And they're opening the embassies back yes. to the Damascus Abs- Yeah, wallahi my dear brothers and sisters Of the Uyghur and Turkic people The blessed and noble Uyghur and Turkic people 
The Syrians have been there. The Palestinians have been there. The Kashmiris have been there. Where they have sought assistance and aid from the UN and the West. And by all means, if you have the access, naturally you're going to exhaust all things that are available. I get that. But know that liberation from an Islamic context will only come from your fellow Muslims. That's it. So I believe that whilst, yes, by all means, utilize all the lobbying and all the means that you have, know that they can and they will switch sides at a click of a finger. Absolutely. Yeah. At a click of a finger. There was a time where the Western government side, do you remember 2013, 14, uh, beginning of it, they're talking about regime change, moving Bashar, moving Bashar. Yeah. Then they realized, you know what? Bashar is better than the Sunni Islamists Yeah because Because we can't control these lot We can't control They're not the kind of Islamist rebels we can control Like let's say in Libya Let's say in Nahda in in Tunisia We can't control these lot So our interests are not protected These lot might actually go and implement a state And a Sharia which we can't really accept Yeah So we need to support Bashar We need to let Russia do what they need to do Brothers and sisters, we've been there too many times. Do you understand? I mean, um, so, sorry. No, no, go on, go on. US is in decline now. Uh, yeah. I mean, they have been for probably more so in the past decade. Yeah. Uh, but now Russia has moved in in, in the in the region, and and obviously it's you you we're moving away from American imperialism in the region to Russian imperialism, and when Bashar al-Assad said, or oh, his soldiers, you know. In the beginning of the conflict, in 2011, uh, his Shabiha, his security forces, wrote on the walls, uh, on the streets that, in Arabic, Bashar al-Assad, or we burned down the whole country. And he Mm. actually meant it. Literally meant it. He did, and that's what he's done, basically. He's done the whole, uh, he's burned down the whole country, and and he meant it. And nobody in the world has said anything to him. Rather, mm. what they're trying to do now is normalize back to relationship relations with him, and that's mm. what's happening now. And it's cra- yeah, and it's and, it, and it's crazy that the criminal organization ISIS, which makes up what zero point zero 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 five percent of the Ummah at best, yeah. they carried out crimes. But the f- three four years of hundreds and thousands of Muslims being butchered was not enough. For the West to intervene And let me just be also clear I don't know about Zayed But I don't support Western intervention Do you understand? I support support Muslim intervention Muslims should intervene To assist other Muslims Yeah Irrelevant of your ethnicity Or nationality Because we're Ummat al-Wahid Yeah But It just shows the inconsistency Brothers and sisters Right That it took a 73 nation coalition To bomb Raqqa To the Stone Ages And create Create more criminals that then carried out acts in the West, yeah. But the hundreds and thousands that Bashar killed for three, four years, the chemical attacks that all went unanswered. Those red lines, those red lines that Obama and, and Cameron all spoke about, all got transgressed and little happened. Absolutely, and remember, those figures are very conservative. Yeah, very conservative figures, of course. And, and what they did as well in Mosul as well. Mm. Uh, Subhanallah, yeah. And what they did there is for some reason. You got all these like hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, you know, and those are in jail as well, being tortured, etc. Not a single word about them or let's liberate them. Mm. Uh, it's all like you said. It's what, and it's more apparent now. 
these days that you could see that they have their interest at heart and whatever's like Morsi how they toppled him yeah uh, it was not obviously it's not in Israel's favor and it's not in the you know America's favor so in the end uh, he was toppled yeah and, uh, and he was short-lived unfortunately but that's the way they want to keep these di- these dictators for decades in power and they don't care if people are living in, you know in destitute poverty mm. they're being tortured i mean they you know the cia rendition program exactly <laughs> they send them to muslim groups egypt <laughs> syria people. jordan exactly and libya and all these places to get tortured mm. on their behalf uh, mm. and because you know in the west obviously they can't do that they can't do that yeah of course but in the in thingy in the in the muslim in the middle east you can do that and get away with it mm. So look, I mean, so we've so, so granted that we pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always that victory comes to the oppressed Muslims, that their difficulty is uplifted and is replaced by security and something which is just and reflective of the deen of Islam, inshallah. Uh, but with the situation of the Uyghurs, right, what advice would you give them that, okay, fine, Many of your leading campaigners, namely in the US, are lobbying the US government and we hope that you're strategically aware of what may come or what we would argue is inevitable, yeah? That America will sell you out at a drop of a hat, yeah? It's just a matter of time when it needs to understand its economical maslaha and that's it, it's done. Would you advise that they continue their efforts with the Muslim Ummah and the people of the Muslim world? Like, would you, would you, would you, would you suggest, or would you, I mean, what's your thoughts on that? The efforts of lobbying, raising awareness, and awakening yeah. the Muslim Ummah more than 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 perhaps Western governments. Uh, I think definitely we need to work on the Muslim governments. The Muslim, uh, I mean, Kuwait is changing their mind mm. a little bit, uh, but obviously a lot more work needs to be done, and I think that's where our area focus should be. Um, Especially, you know, with what's happening in India, and I'm mm. not sure if you're aware, you know, the Arab princes and the princes, although yes. they have their own, you know, yeah, they're speaking yeah. out against them. Mm. And, and India, uh, the, the the BJP government are shaking a bit, because obviously, yeah. you know, loads of the, Indian Hindus out there. Yeah. is based on the Gulf, you know. Absolutely. Uh, and I think more focus should be on the Muslim politicians, the Muslim, uh, you know, Governments, uh, Muslim governments, the the business people, etc., the the reformers, the thinkers of this ummah, the scholars. That's where we, our focus should be, and uh, and until that changes, like you said, Western intervention is Western intervention is only going to lead to failure. Mm. So until we start focusing on our own people, like in Pakistan or especially Pakistan, for example, mm. uh, you know, and the you know. Be careful what you say, Zaid. <laughs> <laughs> no, especially in Pakistan, like their relationship with China, for example, mm. and we all know it's a slave-master relationship. Yeah, it's not. It's not an equal partnership, and many Pakistanis know this as well. Yeah. And we need to focus on, on on these group of people within the Muslim world, and then you'll see change. Uh, inshallah, like you said, liberation can only come through the Muslimin. Muslim. That's it. Not yeah, of course not. And um, I'd advise the same to um, Muslim brothers and sisters in Bangladesh that obviously you have 
whether you like to admit it or not, a very slave master relationship with India, right? Yes. And in all honesty, that if the leadership there, which I don't hold any hope for with Hasina, the tyrant, but if ever a leadership came which had some cojones and had some steel and, 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 and a backbone, that you could apply real pressure, right? Yes. That India relies on countries like. I mean, you get the example of China and Pakistan, but let me just give one that's more closer to personally. India relies on countries like Bangladesh for trade, for commerce, for trade routes. Yeah, that it accesses the East, it accesses Burma, it takes it takes key products from Bangladesh, and then it makes millions, if not billions, of dollars from it. But I think this entire discussion boils down to leadership, isn't it, Zayed? Yes, it's leadership. It's leadership, isn't it? Right? Absolutely. And this is where we might get labelled Khariji, yeah. troublemakers, revolutionaries and all this kind of labels that's quite commonly thrown about The irony is that we're not calling for any of that sort all Exactly we, all, all, all we're saying is, look, we're, we're individuals, right? Mm. Like, what we're saying is, we need to educate our people that, you know, don't turn a blind eye, stop burying your, your heads in the sand and wake up, uh, you know and. And you know, get some change. But I think also nationalism is a big, is a big uh, uh, obstacle in the ummah. It's one of the biggest uh, obstacles, I would say. One of the biggest one. One of the biggest one. You know, after mm. you know the era of nation states now, and mm. you know, we our ummah, the concept of ummah, is unfortunately is all we only many of us only see as our own family, our own brother, our own tribe, our own country. Uh, or the people that are same color or language, etc. We cannot see anybody else for some reason who's from a different country, from a different culture, as our own Muslim brother. Mm. Uh, we, you know, you know they say that the far far right exists in the west. They also exist in the uh, east as well, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah, it does. Uh, and uh, we've seen a lot of that lately in Turkey. Uh, Anti-Syrian racism is increasing. Uh, it's increasing more than ever, you know, the attacks against Syrian refugees there. You're seeing now as well, uh, Rohingya, in, during the month of Ramadan, Rohingya were being attacked uh, verbally uh, by journalists, etc. Uh, in, Malay in Malaysia. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, even in our pages when we're highlighting uh, in 2017, you know, when the Myanmar attacked them. Yeah. They were leaving their homes into going into Bangladesh. The Bangladesh, yeah. We even had people say, Look, why do you want these filthy, dirty people in our country? I mean, that's the language yeah. that we, yeah. we, you know, we come across. And unfortunately, until this mindset changes, we're still going to be in the same situation. I mean, I mean, look, I, I gave a lecture, uh, which should be on screen. It was called uh, Nationalism and State of the Ummah. And one of the things I addressed. From my perspective is that when you look at the condition of the Ummah What is the one of the biggest obstacles that is affecting us to prosper collectively, right? And we have seen throughout Islamic history from the time of the Prophet to the Khulafa al-Rashidin And those who came after That there was a central focus on good leadership and unity Yani subhanallah brothers and sisters the only t there's very lying is a sin lying some many regard is a major sin but the fact that there is some clemency for you to lie to bring two camps of muslims together shows you how important unity is absolutely 
Yeah? That, that you, you're not allowed to lie. It's haram. You're sinful. You'll be punished for it. But you're allowed to lie to bring two warring factions of Muslims together. Yeah. And the fact that we have so many statements from the Prophet wasallam and from the Sahaba, may Allah be pleased with them all, where we focus about good leadership, strong leadership, leadership with a backbone, leadership that's based on Islamic principles, a leadership which is proud of its Islam and the unity of the Ummah. This is not something that's ajib. This is not something that's strange to us. There are so many references to it in the Quran and Sunnah, right? So, yeah, we can do the one Ummah card when it comes to Hajj. We can do the one Ummah when it comes to Salah. But it appears that for many of us, or, we don't. Or, or, or one Eid or. You know, one Eid, yeah, but, 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 the, but the concept of. And by the way, we're not writing off one Eid. It's a very good concept, mashallah. But the point here is that we seem to want the one Ummah on areas that is very easy to implement. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah? But when it actually comes to acting, being the, the, the mouth and, and, and investing your health and your time and your wealth, it seems that we don't want it. But the Prophet said that you know the love of the dunya, yeah, and that's unfortunately what it is, unfortunately, and mm. what our own interests are, mm. uh, and you know, and also this thing of maintaining the status quo, you know, mm. we're so comfortable in our own selves and way we live, etc. We just don't want to shift from that. Absolutely, because once you move away from that, Allah is going to definitely test you. Hundred percent. So if you if you going down a path where, for example, you call into Allah, for example. You know, etc. You are going to be tested, no matter what you say or what you do. You're going to be tested with your family, you know, your children, your wealth, etc. But for some, for many of us, we we want to, unfortunately, we just want to stay in the same boat as we are and just let time go by and and that's it and let somebody else do the rest. There's no difference to you know when when Bani Israel, you know when you know. Uh, of Prophet Musa when they told him look you go and fight Allah with your lord <laughs> yeah, yeah you go fight your lord and we come later yeah and and just to add to that point Zaid made and it's such an important example did that did that generation of Bani Israel be given victory no, no they didn't no. Allah re- Allah made sure that that generation got removed and then victory came under Yusha bin Nun alayhi salam because that was the generation, brothers and sisters, that was perpetuated by oppression. They saw the sea split. They saw so many ayat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And yet they refused to fight. And remember this, Allah had promised victory. They just had to enter the gates, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. That's, Allah had promised them victory. What did they say? There's a strong army there. They wanted it to basically say, Yalla, come. They did not want to fight. So brothers and sisters, Wallahi takes Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about this in Surah Al-Baqarah and throughout the Quran about those who told Musa alayhi salam that you go fight with your Lord. And Allah did not grant them victory until there was a generation that was born that was worthy of victory. We pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we are from that generation and not the one that was not given the victory. Ameen. Um, bringing the podcast to a close, bringing it more closer to the UK. Yeah. Um, obviously we spoke about a number of outlets in my quick fire questions to you and i would hum i would i would say alhamdulillah you know there is a genuine brotherly relationship a cordial relationship with the likes of dawa and islam 21c ilm feed on five five pillars yeah, yeah there is generally yeah there's a brother there's a brotherly warm relationship there but there and and of course moving forward we will absolutely collaborate 
to show a, 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 a show of unity and strength, inshallah, on, on, on mutual causes and stuff like this. Do you appreciate that, however, that said, that there will be naturally where there's areas of overlaps and agreements, there will also be areas of disagreement? C- case in point, our good brothers at Ilmfid and Isan 21C, they adorn Erdogan, yeah. right? Uh, whereas Five Pillars and Dawam are more critical of Erdogan. Yes. Yeah? Um, and so therefore, these kind of things uh, are, are interesting areas, isn't it? It's, it, it, it's characteristic of who we are. <laughs> so, I, I mean, with these kind of... I mean, that was just one example. There are others, the whole kind of uh, political participation in democratic elections and, you know, where me and you, me and you personally, we don't vote uh, because we, we don't deem it to be permissible. Whereas the other two, whether pride... Well, sometimes once you deem it obviously an obligation in some certain circumstances... Infi don't really get into it, but obviously as individual views, they, they believe it to be obviously permissible as well. Now, given these kind of differences with our brothers, who also do fantastic work, do you think it's, it's important that we do continue collaboration when and where it's possible? Of course, for sure. Uh, we have to do this. Uh, if we don't, we can't, we can't, be, uh, we can't be like left alone. Mm. And do like our own thing in a way. We we also have to do productive work, whether it's through the media, whether it's through the training people uh, on certain uh, uh, you know uh, aspects like addressing the media, etc. Uh, in, in yeah, for sure, we definitely need collaborative work, and we definitely need that. Although we may disagree on certain issues, that's that's natural anyway. Because the unity is more important than that, then, isn't it? Yes, yes, absolutely. Now, looking at the looking at the online Muslim media landscape, right? We've got yourselves. We've got Ilmfeed, Mashallah, Islam Twenty One C, Five Pillars. Uh, whether we whether we want to acknowledge it or not, the Muslim vibe are there, right? Yeah. There are there are others that are there. Given this landscape. And given that nowhere else in the Western world is there this many online media outlets, is this something very telling of the UK Muslim community? But if you go to the UK, if you go to the US, bro, and the Canada, there is no Dawam. There is no. There's nothing. They've got this magazine called the Muslim Girl, which is this Batil and Fahisha, yeah. And they've got the Yakin Institute, which is more of an Islamic Institute think tank kind of thing. But there's but but there's no media outlet. And yeah. In North America, in the United States and in Canada, there is no online Muslim media outlet. Yes, they have a Muslim Matters, fine, that's fine. But Muslim Matters is very much similar to, I would humbly say, I could be wrong, it's a bit like an Islam 21C. Yes. Yeah. But an actual news website which is producing news on a daily basis, it doesn't exist. And it doesn't really exist in Europe either. No, it doesn't. Why do, why do you think the UK is unique in that, that we have four or five doing different kinds of works? We're just special, aren't we? <laughs> That's what it is, isn't it? I don't know. I, I really don't know. I think the uh, the Muslims in this country they they want to cling on to more onto the deen and mm. they want to do that work. They want to go out and do things that help the community, even the non-Muslim community as well. Mm. Uh, and I think that uh, in terms of media, uh, I never knew that. There's nothing in America. There isn't. There was, yeah. No, there is. There's only Muslim matters, bro. 
That's only Musimates. There's nothing eh? There's really, nothing in Canada and nothing I, in Dingy. I really don't know what that is, but I think maybe because we understand the importance of a, of controlling a, a specific narrative, whether it's in feed something that's positive and you know that you know Muslims do good things, etc., etc., or like yourselves where you're covering certain investigative, uh, you know, investigation reports, etc., into certain like. Like for example, like Shukri, you know, Abdi, etc. Um, like ourselves in in a particular area, highlighting oppression. I think may, maybe we understand that there is a need for this work mm. more than the rest because maybe they in in those regions they're probably more scattered out and not really united or mm. they have mm. their own little suburbs where they just whatever my mosque is or my community center is that's what we follow and that's what we do mm. i mean i agree yes so, so on top of that what i have found because i've not visited the u.s i don't have no plans to visit the u.s but i've been to canada and obviously these countries are significantly bigger like from from a from a land from a landmass point of view they're huge yeah to yeah. so the muslim communities are, are more scattered unless you're talking about toronto and new york and these kind of places then yes you'll get concentrated muslim communities Second thing I have found, and Wallahi brothers and sisters, our American and North American viewers and listeners, especially those from the Mad Mom looks, this is no attack or anything negative against you. We're not making sweeping generalization, but what I have found, and what we actually discussed in episode one of the Blood Brothers with Sim from the Mad Mom looks, is that I have found that Muslims in America, and broadly speaking Canada as well, but more so America, have wholeheartedly bought into American patriotism. Right, which has made it very difficult to have an ummatic view. That's not to say that they don't care about the ummah, of course not, but it's a more of a case of a mindset and priority. Yeah, Absolutely. I think that also the majority of the Muslims in America, bar the black Muslims who the African 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 American Muslims who were the earliest Muslims in in the U.S. Yeah. Right, um, they are diaspora communities, whereas we came here. Our forefathers came here in the 40s and 50s, the economic migrants, as essentially from the former colonies. Yeah. yeah. So there's a far more, uh, not antagonistic, but there's a far more, uh, a, a stronger relationship in understanding our heritage. Yeah. Right. In that, yes, we were colonized by the Brits for 200 years. We came here to rebuild this country. And so, therefore, I think there's a bit more, not Izza, but there's a bit more fire in us. Yes, to uh, to understand to, to understand the various needs of the community. Absolutely. Would you would you would you think that's a fair assessment? Yes, that's a fair assessment. Yeah. Mm. And I know and I know and I know American brothers think that we're ghettoized and we're we're, we're not that educated and we're we're far more sectarian in our ways. I understand that those are some generalization stereotypes that we that some of our North American brothers and sisters have about us. But I would humbly say that I would rather have that. Than a wholehearted approach and internalization of American patriotism, to be honest. Yeah, 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 absolutely. One thing Sheikh Asrar Rashid said to me uh, on our podcast, he said, Look, when Salafis are set in their ways of defending Salafis, Ambrelvis do the same, and the Obandis do the same, and Ikhwanis do the same, and Hizb Tahrir do the same, and all the different groups in the UK are entrenched in upholding their manhaj or, or their thingy. Because what they actually. Yeah, he goes, what actually, that creates a healthy environment. It keeps everyone on their toes. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas when you start letting go of everything, right, yeah. this is when at least it's better to have aqidah and manhaj debates than to debate the fundamentals of the deen. Absolutely. 
absolutely. Yeah? yeah. So, and I think there's truth in that, to be honest. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. I never, when he said that, I thought, I thought that's actually right. Because if you're set in your ways, which wasn't always good for unity, by the way, but if you're set in your ways and wanting to uphold and defend your manhaj, your things, it keeps, it's healthy. It just keeps, it keeps the discussion and the, 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 the izzah alive in, in your respective way of thinking, I think. It also uh, creates uh, people to think and reflect upon them more. Absolutely. They do research themselves mm. uh, and, um, and get more closer to the deen. I mean, I remember in the ni- late 1990s, 97, I mean, there's, you know, the the young Muslim camps, you know, all these, you know, I remember those camps where all the brothers used to go to, etc., etc. And, and I think we very much cling on to the deen more and we don't want to know how much, you know, they're trying their best to get us yeah. away from the deen. Yeah. <laughs> we, we want to keep hold of it regardless and I think that's within us. Uh, uh, a fundamental characteristic that we have in this country Yeah, I mean, if you compare uh, Again, brothers and sisters who are not from the UK Please do not take offence we're not, we're not making sweeping generalisations It's just something that's very blatantly observable if you, were to com- if you were to compare the Muslim community of the UK To let's say the Muslim community in France Yeah Institutionally we're far better organised Institutionally we're far more United on certain causes Whether it be prevent Whether it be LGBTQ Whether it be Israel And stuff like this yeah. and, I, and I just think that the, the Islamic identity Of Muslims in the UK Is far more potent mm. Right? And, and we're far more We're far more resistant To assimilation I, I found that That's not to say that We don't have sellouts And people who have assimilated mm. Absolutely yeah. we do yeah. And absolutely we have Muslims Who have Assimilated Who have adopted Secular liberalism Yes we have that But I just think As a community We've shown good levels Of resistance Absolutely In, co- in comparison to other communities In, the, in, in Europe and, and, and North America I agree with you Yeah, yeah. So Did I Conclude with some advice uh, To Muslims Who are going to be listening Or watching this podcast And You know They may Think to themselves You know but we're in the UK, we're in the US What can we really do for our brothers and sisters in Palestine, in Syria, in Kashmir, in Africa What can we actually practically do? I mean, so, you know, what can sharing a video do? What can sharing an infographic do? You know, we've got our own issues here We've got anti-Muslim hate crimes, we've got Islamophobia We're getting, our mosques are being attacked, our sisters are being attacked Our priorities are here uh, You know, why are you guys always continuously telling us about what's happening here? You know, showing us graphic footage and you know heartbreaking stories. What would your advice be to those Muslims, predominantly in the West, who don't, for whatever reason, have a, a proportionate ummatic view of what's happening in the Muslim world? Uh, look, the Prophet said, uh, that "If you see a munkar or an evil action, you change it with your hand. If you can't change it with your hand, you speak about it. And if you can't speak about it," It has to be in your heart, and that's the lowest form of uh, iman. iman. Yeah. And why, whether we like it or not, all of us fit in one of those categories. Uh, uh, and you, you can only do with obviously in this country what you can do within your means and capabilities is by, for example, like protesting, uh, lobbying, uh, like for example, like Kashmir, like lobbying certain MPs. You can protest. You can write letters, you can organize events, uh, talks, etc. That's obviously 
you're limited in what you can do, uh, but at least you're doing something, mm-hmm. rather than doing nothing and saying, oh well, I'm in this country and, you know, uh, you know I'm f- so focused on here. Yes, we focus on what's happening in this country, you know, we can't forget that, the anti, you know, the Islamophobia media, etc., the politicians, we do that work, they also got to look at the wider community as well, where they're not privileged enough, for example, to have a roof over their head, or they don't have anybody uh, around them, or they're living in refugee squalid camps where, you know, they don't have access to the stuff that we have, and that's where we can make a difference. For example, uh, like uh, the Uyghur community that are living abroad, uh, what China is trying to do is they're trying to de- uh, get the countries to deport them back to China, so mm. they could go into East Turkestan and get you know tried, etc. Like why they've been to Turkey, etc., etc. That and social media that can play a big role. Uh, uh, where there was a brother in Qatar who's about to be deported to uh, China, uh, but because there was a last minute uh, social media campaign, Alhamdulillah, based on that campaign, on social Alhamdulillah, media, uh, we managed. They managed, and all of us put, put together, we managed to stop the deportation. And they gave the brother a th- uh, to uh, give him a choice of which country to go. So he went to Turkey. So that's a third choice that he went to, mm. as opposed to going to China. So that's one thing that we can make a difference on, uh, uh, on, on issues like this. Uh, for example, like petitioning our brother Sohail Hughes, who's locked yes. up in India. In India, yeah. Yes, we can write to our MPs, local MPs, write to you know the UK Home, of, uh, home Office. Uh, what I tend to notice these days is people don't want to be seen as uh, you know being exposed so when you do a campaign on social media you get a lot of and especially when there's pressure building up a lot of these people do it actually do something whether they write something they actually do something behind absolutely it. absolutely because uh, they want to save face at the end of the day 100% and at the end of the day if we, if we can manage to do that then Alhamdulillah we achieve you know, something that we can do uh, especially for example the Uyghur community for example I, I believe that they've been let down uh, uh, majorly made throughout the whole world uh, but this uh, we can talk to our families we can educate our families read read about certain areas for example I never knew who the Uyghur community same, was same. in 2014 uh, until a brother contacted me uh, brother Abdul Rani Sabi mm, mm. and from Beautiful that, from that uh, I started reading myself because I can't talk about a certain community if I don't know anything about them. Hundred percent, bro. And that's what I started doing. You you gotta read. You gotta understand the history. Understand its history. Yep. Palestine, Kashmir, Rohingya. You gotta delve into these areas and you gotta basically learn your topic. You gotta you gotta if you don't, mm. then you're not gonna go. You know, you're always gonna fall short. And there's not going to be a connection there either, isn't exactly, it? Exactly. Yes. For, for I mean, for example, if someone if someone asks you and I, or so, if someone asks a Mus, uh, you know Muslims, how did Islam go into Asham? Yes. Khalid bin Walid, Amr bin As, yes. uh, you know, um, uh, under Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu yes. an, Salahuddin. We'll give the whole timeline. Yes. How did how did Islam go into uh, uh, Pakistan? Oh, Muhammad bin Qasim in Sindh. How did how did Islam reach uh, certain regions of Bengal? Oh, Sheikh Shah Jalal. So we know the history And because we know the history There is an immediate connection Brothers and sisters Wallahi Do the same with the Uyghurs Do the same Because there is a rich Islamic history In the area of East Turkestan Yeah 
a very rich, a very rich one, yeah. So one of the ways in in connecting with with our brothers and sisters with the Uyghurs is, and I always open my lecture, university lecture with this. Yeah, the reason why we know about the Palestinians and the Kashmiris and the Syrians is because we know about their history. Isn't it? Absolutely. We can name you the generals, we can name you the leaders, we can name Absolutely. you the Sahaba, yeah? But we need to do the same with the Uyghurs, so we feel one with their heritage. Because it's Islamic heritage. Exactly. What, about, what about those who are scared, Zayed? What about those who are scared? Scared to rock the boat? Uh, if you're scared to rock the boat, you're always going to be in that limbo forever, unfortunately. Uh, and do you want to do you want to face Allah on the day of judgment? I mean, He asks you, "What have you done?" Obviously, according to your means and etc. What have you done? And your answer is, "Oh well, I had it in my heart, but I was scared." I mean, that you know, the answer is not kind of sufficient. Uh, mm. uh, you know, it's uh, if you're so scared. Look, you're gonna die one day. You know, mm. you're gonna go to jail. You may go to jail, or you may die, etc., etc. But at least go with something that you have an answer to, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If mm. you don't, then there's really something wrong with you. Mm. And if you're always scared and we're always like flinching at, oh, you know, this person saying so-and-so or uh, my non-Muslim colleague saying something, you know, etc. And if you're always scared and you don't be confident in our deen, then uh, and it's going to transcend into your own children. It's going to pass on to their generation from their gen generation. So we need to be proud of our deen, proud that we are Muslims, you know, and proud of who we are and where we come from and not shy away from that. Absolutely. That's the first step. Mm. And then from the next step is you educate, you learn you, the deen, etc. You you get out, you, you go and meet new people, you know, meet brothers, meet scholars, etc. And then third thing is you go and do something of what you want to do. Find an area that you want, for example, if your background is graphics, approach someone like ourselves or Five Pillars or Cage or whatever, volunteer your services for them. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, like, because many people are shy, they don't want to speak, etc. There's many avenues that they, they, they can take which can fulfill, uh, you know, a duty that they can do. Mm. Brothers and sisters, look, Jazakumullah khair, may Allah bless you for that advice, Zaid. I mean, and I'm just going to add to that. Look, brothers and sisters, myself, Zaid, others who are in the Muslim media scene and our respective organizations, we don't have armies at our disposal. We don't have the power to kick out diplomats and cut trade deals. But what we're essentially saying is that if an opportunity arises for you, or if you have the means to hold an event, in your masjid, to hold an event at your university ISOC, to write a letter, to write an article, to contribute towards a video, to design an infographic, to sign a petition, to write a letter to your MP, Muslim or non-Muslim, holding them to account about what they should be doing. Whether or not they do something or not, that's something else. But the fact that you have written and reminded them of what they claim to be representing on your behalf, writing to the embassies of these governments, reminding Muslim governments via writing, via letters, by attending conferences, by reminding them that you have an Islamic duty to be doing X, Y, and Z. All of these are within our means. And realistically, in the comfort of our lives in the West, it's not asking for much. 
well and truly it's not asking for much. So please, if you're listening or watching this podcast, whether it be the Uyghurs, the Kashmiris, the Rohingya, uh, Muslim brothers and sisters in India, in Syria, uh, in Central African Republic, in Somalia, and anywhere else that they're being oppressed, please, when an opportunity arises, do whatever you can within your means. We are part of one ummah, and I'm going to conclude this post- podcast on the very well-known hadith of the Prophet wasallam, where he said the parable of the believers is, is that like one body. When, when one part of it aches, the rest of it responds in sleeplessness and fever. Just think about that analogy that the Prophet used of a body. If I were to cut my hand, if I were to cut my hand, forget my hand, if I was to cut this little bit of my finger, would the rest of my body be normal? Zaid, would it be normal if I cut this much of my finger, bro? No, We'd be in pain. We'd be in pain. We'd be in fever. We'd be, we wouldn't be able to go to sleep without painkillers. The Prophet ﷺ used that analogy of the body because that's exactly what the Ummah of Muhammad ﷺ and the Ummah of Islam is. We are one body. And do not let fear overcome your mindset to act for the sake of Islam and Muslims. The fear of the punishment of Allah is the only fear that's praiseworthy. Yeah? The fear of creation, however, is something else. And also, we're not telling you either to forwardly put yourselves in danger and compromising situations. We're just saying that when opportunities arise and you have legal means to do what you can for the sake of the ummah who have been oppressed, please do it and exhaust it. And may Allah accept all our efforts. I mean, Zaid, Jazakumullah khair for honoring us with your presence, bro. And I hope it's the. No, no, Barakallah Fiqh. It was, uh, it was an absolute honor having you on, bro. And. Um, you know, uh, very rarely in podcasts do I have fanboy moments, yeah? Uh, but you, as an individual, and your organization is someone who I admire and make dua for from afar, bro. May Allah ta'ala accept your efforts and your work. Bless you, bless you, your wife, your family, everyone who's involved in Dawam, your progeny, I mean. I mean, I mean, and likewise with you as well, bro. Brothers and sisters, that's all for today. Um, please remember to subscribe to the Five Pillars YouTube channel. For those of you who are listening or watching from North America, you can also tune into the Mad Mom Looks channel. For those of you who don't like watching YouTube videos, you can go to all the podcast platforms and search the Mad Mom Looks with the Blood Brother podcast, and all our episodes will be there. There should be a button on screen telling you to subscribe and stick on your bell notification. Inshallah, like this video, share this video, leave a comment. And until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Blood Brothers Podcast. Five Pillars of Mad Monarchs Production.